This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi unatangata o Manawatu. It is a Wednesday morning uh, and it is time to turn our attention to Palmerston North City Council and rung in at the last minute, saving the day, <laughs> saving the council's face. We have Lorna Johnson, councillor for Palmerston North City Council. Atamarie. Atamarie Fraser, how are you? Not too bad. Yes, we were um, semi expecting uh, Pat Hancock. Uh, sadly, he can't join us. He is in Auckland. Right. I'm assuming on council business. Oh, well, I don't check up on the other councillors. We're all uh, responsible for our own performance, Fraser. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on then, but we are delighted to have you here and no stranger to NPR, it should be said. Um, but the the, uh, the show that you do here doesn't detract from your council duties. And in fact, it's been a bit of a busy old time in council Yes, at yes, the it's very busy in council at the moment. Um, we've had um, quite a lot of consultations and every consultation requires um, hearings of submissions and so yeah it's been quite busy and we've got some big decisions looming mm-hmm. and so yeah. Well let, let's get straight into uh, the first big decision, uh, well the decision was made, the, uh, the Maori wards are, are, are coming and so now we need to, that's uh, kicked off a representation yep. review um, and there were three proposals um, both made sense whether you agree with the two of them made sense or you you know you could agree whether you yeah. agree with them or not i was quite interested in the hybrid model oh. but we spoke to karen <laughs> naylor a couple of weeks yeah. ago and she said it sounds fair but it also sounds very complicated and given the engagement levels that voter engagement yeah. is an all-time low probably not the time to be doing that but it did kind of sound interesting interesting but we get we have enough trouble with stv mm-hmm. and um it was a very complex system where uh, we would have had some wards some cancers standing in wards some cancers standing at large uh people on the maori roll being able to vote for at large in their own ward and i think it would have just confused the heck out of people mm, yeah. yeah um although potentially been fa- in an ideal world would it have been the fairest option well, you see, I think that the at-large is very fair because the way that we combine at-large with STV means that uh, if you have a small level of support across the city, but it adds up to a reasonable amount of support, you can still get elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with wards is that um, if they're geographical wards, which these would have been, uh, if your support is not concentrated in one area of the city, you can't really stand in a ward. Mm. And, um, you know, for some of our more diverse councillors, their support is across the city. And it would have, I think it would have meant a lot more competition in the Mm -hmm. at-large portion of it. Um, So I'm not sure that it would have been fair. I think we've got a fair system with totally at-large. So the hybrid model was insistent that the, the general role wards would be geographical. Because the, yes, they the, have to be. Oh, do they? Yes. Oh, because because the Maori ward obviously isn't geographical. No. It's just a, it's at large, but it's a community of interest. So I was wondering if we were going to have at large community of interest. Well, you can no, you can ha- no because there's no legislation that allows you to do that. <sighs> you can uh, you can have one general ward, which mm-hmm. is what we've proposed, 
Uh, but if you want to divide the general wards up, it has to be geographic. So it couldn't be like a disability award no. or a, no. that's Is that a shame or is that a good thing? I'm inclined to say that's a, that, you know, it would, when people say we need to address diversity in yeah. councils, that would be a good way every three or six years look at a representation review and come up with a different style award. Uh Possibly, but I, I still think you can do that through the at-large system. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got you know a reasonable level of support across the city, it's not geographic. Mm. You can still get elected. Anyway, this is all a moot point because yes. the hybrid model wasn't uh, no, on the not. table, <laughs> uh, and basically um, to 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 put kind of skewed, it came down to how many councillors there would be and that would also dictate how many Māori ward councillors there would yeah, be. Yes, so that was the bone of contention really. So there were some councillors that wanted to reduce the num- total number of councillors. Um, I didn't quite follow their logic for that other than um, – so the councillors are paid from one pool of money. Yes. So the total number of councillors determines how much money each councillor gets. It doesn't either add or detract from the rates no. bill. LGNZ so, go, here is a sum of money, of money, pay some Divide it up between yourselves, yeah. So uh, I'm, I didn't quite follow the logic for why we'll be reducing the number of councillors. I mean there were some arguments made that um, – uh, it will be better to pay people more and then we'd get better people. I mean, I personally don't believe that's the case, but, you know, that was the argument that was made. Um, and other arguments made that, you know, decision-making is harder when you've got a large number of people. But actually, um, I think we work quite well cohesively as a council of 15. So uh, I didn't – I wasn't persuaded by the positive arguments for a smaller number. And then the legislation, again, ties us to the number of uh, seats we could have in each ward. Mm-hmm. So if we were to reduce the total number of councillors at all, instead of having two seats in the Māori ward, we'd only have one. And that for me was a significant disadvantage because um, it's great to have uh, the prospect of a representative uh, for the Māori electoral role. But to just have one person isolates them mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't give people on that role as much choice. So I was very firmly in the camp of we need to maintain the number of councillors so we keep two Murray Ward councillors. Yeah. And I guess the final point on this one, and not necessarily something I believe that local government has any real power on, but it's with central government, they're currently looking at how frequently you can decide what uh, role you want to be on, whether it's yeah. the general role or the Maori role. Yeah. Uh, and that could be at odds with how people want to vote in different elections. Someone might want to vote for uh, vote in the general role for central government elections, but mm. might want to vote in the Maori role for local government politics. And that seems to me quite a legitimate argument to be a legitimate stance to take. I, I want to vote differently depending on what election I'm uh, voting on, but that's not going to be possible. I don't think so, no, because, well, even even at the moment, um, I think you can only change every six years mm. or something like that. So, no, I don't think that's, that's, that's going two to election be. cycles. Yeah, um, and remember, there's only a year between local body elections and then the general elections. Yeah. So, I, I, I think there's probably some practical difficulty with that. But you're right; that's central government decides that, mm. not us. Um, so, when when do we find out what the final picture will be in terms so it, of how many councillors and thus how many Maori councillors? So, it's out for consultation at the moment. So, we want people to put submissions in. Um, so there are three areas that you can put a submission in. One is the number of councillors, uh, but the other two areas are uh, if you think there should be um, 
some kind of community boards um, or some wards. Mm, mm. So um, some people may you know have an opinion on that and want to put. You know, we haven't. We haven't proposed that, but there's still the option to request that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you uh, suspect this may be one of the uh, more engaged uh, consultations, or do you think that the mere fact that the Maori wards have been brought in will be enough, and this might be a, just a standard consultation? I don't know. You can. You never can mm. tell, <laughs> really. Um, I think. Um, obviously, Bunnythorpe uh, really wanted a community board, mm-hmm. and it's possible that they may submit again through this process um, and say, yes, we want a community mm. board. Well, actually, let's talk very briefly yeah. on, on Bunnythorpe. And again, I th- we were speaking to Jimmy Ellingham from Manor Two Standard yeah. about this, and the, Bunnythorpe very keen on having that formalised yes. relationship yes. with the council, which, I mean... That adds a layer of bureaucracy. Mm. My, my feeling is if you've got a group of people who are recognised by the population of Bunnythorpe as the voice of Bunnythorpe in a contentious issue, do you really need to be beholden to the council in terms of, you know, there's, there's, there's the accountability for the money because they'll get money from the council if they become a board? Yeah. Um, I was probably an outlier on this. <laughs> so I had some sympathy for for the proposal from Bunnythorpe. And the reason for that is that whilst I personally feel that uh, we've got good engagement with Bunnythorpe, that we hear from the community organisation, Bunnythorpe regularly, that there's, you know, a good two-way communication, they clearly don't feel that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I thought we should at least have accepted their proposal and gone out for submissions on it. Mm. Um, You're right, there would be financial implications. And also, um, I think, uh, there was a, you know, there was some concern in some quarters that we'd be opening the door to community boards left, right, and centre, uh, all of which, you know, can be expensive. But then, you know, I feel if if I, I quite like the determination for a community to be at the lowest level, mm-hmm. and so I feel if the community is saying this is what we want, then we should at least have consulted on it. But anyway, I did not win the day on that. So. There is the, and, and I do not wish to cast aspersions on anyone uh, mobilising the community in Bunnythorpe, but there mm-hmm. is the stereotype that these people may not, in fact, be the voice of Bunnythorpe residents, but the most active minority. And uh, that's quite possible. Uh, but then we would have found that out through submissions. So I think, you know, we don't know. Mm. And the other thing is, if you become a community board, that brings about an election. So you, you get a better guarantee that they are the voice of... That the, they're the, representative, mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, anyway, as I say, didn't win the day, so there we are. But they do have the right of appeal. Yes. So they may exercise that. I mean, and, and I guess it is quite important to point out that Bunnythorpe are kind of, they're facing it at the moment. The whole yes, Kiwi the Rail freight yep. hub at the moment is a, a huge undertaking. No one, it's uh, much like some other issues, for example, Three Waters. There seems to be more questions than answers at the moment. And I do feel for the people of Bunnythorpe. Absolutely. And the other thing you have to remember is that they came over to us from Manawatu District Council. Mm-hmm. So they don't, I don't think they really feel... Um, they don't feel as as well understood as perhaps some other parts of the the city do. So, mm. anyway, uh, there we are. <laughs> well, you know, they they use the process that was open to them and fair play to them. And uh, I thought we should have listened a bit more. But are, are there apart from the appeal, are there other avenues open to them? Can they keep going in a sort of informal capacity? Well, I mean, they can maintain the structures that they've got at the moment, which is, you know, their community organisation that meets regularly and councillors, you know, we've got specified councillors that attend, so they have their sort of reps and uh, staff attend and so on. Um, 
And they can still request to make public comment and submissions oh, yes, on things. Yeah. It's just they don't have that sort of... I was going formal to say, recognition. Yeah, formal yeah. recognition and a space in the agenda yeah. to go, right, let's hear from this and community board. maybe, you know, they don't have delegation for spending either, mm-hmm. which they would possibly be given if they were a board. We are here with Councillor Lorna Johnson from Palmerston North City Council for the catch-up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, let's have a look at um, planning and strategy. Yes. Uh, let's really get people's juices going. <laughs> um, but uh, we, again, Jimmy Allingham from Manitou Standard uh, was uh, telling us about the submission process for Summer yep. Hayes uh, Bowling Club and and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems that the vast majority of submissions are, yes, it should be for housing in some way, shape or form. A lot of the submissions say with a recreational component and there are a couple that say leave it as a reserve. Green space is paramount. Yep, I think that's a fair summary. Um, it was a, it was an interesting submission process, actually, because we had a good range of views represented uh, by people coming in to make a, a verbal submission, which was good. Um, some interesting, you know, suggestions came up as as often happens in the submission mm. program process, which is helpful. Um, most people recognise that we're in a situation at the moment as a country, and and Palmerston North is no different, of a you know a severe lack of housing, and that this particular site, um, being having no sort of road frontage, being kind of hidden away, isn't actually ideal. As a reserve, no, um, and so you know that that was probably the main thrust of what came across. Um, some people suggested the type of housing. You know, they had ideas about the typology. Um, one or two people said, "Well, that's fine, but maybe uh, use three quarters of it for housing and, and retain a, a little reserve in there." So, mm-hmm. uh, what will happen is it comes back to us in October now for a decision mm-hmm. on uh, what to do, and if we do want to. Um, Build housing on it. On half of it is is okay to build on. The other half is is um, recreation zone. So we would have to um, do a plan change and re- rezone it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to what level? I mean, this is probably good in terms of the the process at large. But to uh, to what extent will the elected councillors be able to make decisions? kind of what I would call an operational level with regards to the type of house and how it's going to be used. Because I'm assuming the motion, for want of a better term, will be we will uh, rezone this to either to be all uh, residential and then we can build on it. But will you have control over the types of housing, the layouts, whether it's social, private development, all that sort of thing? Not unless we do it ourselves. Mm. So what has yet to be decided is um, do we keep this land or do we sell it Mm -hmm. and if we keep the land do we develop it ourselves um or do we you know partner with a community organization or a developer to do the building Mm. so there's still a bit of water to go under the bridge yet i think uh notwithstanding you know there will need to be surveys and submissions and some things will be possible and some won't what what's what's your perfect outcome here another papayoya place run by the council or private development or uh, my personal um, view is that um, if we could get some two or three story housing in there that would be ideal um, we've got money in the budget for social housing it could be social housing but we have got other land that social housing could go on um, 
It's quite I, a good location for social it housing, is though, isn't it? It's an excellent location. Mm, quite central. It, it's central. It's quite close to – it's walkable to a supermarket. Um, it's close to bus routes. It's close mm. to, a, you know, Memorial Park and so on. So it's, it's, it's a good – it's a good spot for that. I don't want to sort of prejudge the outcome. But no, no, no. And we've said yeah. there's a lot between yeah. now and then. But just in your mind, yeah. a desired or a, you know, ideal outcome. Well, I'd ideally like to get a good density of housing on that site. Um, and my preference would be for social housing because we've got the money and the budget to build it. And uh, so that would be ideal. But – we may come up with some other option. I'm personally not keen on selling the land. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like council to retain the land it owns. Yep. There we go. Uh, also in planning strategy, I believe, uh, bylaws. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, Look at the ex- pulse is quickening. Exciting topics we've got this week. <laughs> um, bylaws. You were saying before we went to air that you've got to vote on whether a bylaw is necessary yes. before you vote yes. on the bylaw. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of waste management issues at yes. the moment. So uh, the first thing we had to do was to decide whether or not we need a bylaw to manage waste. Right. And um, so we decided we did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just to be clear, a bylaw is a council's particular way of managing something that perhaps central government legislation won't cover. Yes. And um, I mean, we already have a bylaw um, and uh, we have to review it every so often. And we have to determine that a bylaw is still the best way to manage this issue. Mm-hmm. So we determined that it was. And so then staff will work on a draft and then the draft will come back to us. And then we'll sign off the draft and it will go out for consultation. And then there'll be submissions and then we'll make a decision on the final one. So is, there's two here. There's one sort of general waste management, yeah. but then there's trade, trade waste. Trade waste, yes. Yeah. So trade waste is a step further on. So this was the draft going out for consultation that we signed off. So trade waste is a kind of very sort of extra for experts kind of bylaw because it um, it really only concerns businesses that that produce trade waste. But, but the same – well, unless, unless I'm misinterpreting the term trade waste, uh, this does impact on the community because certain days you walk down Broadway and all the businesses throw out all their cardboard boxes and, re- and rubbish and recycling. You know, it's mm. – mm. Uh, it's not that kind of trade Isn't waste. Isn't it? Oh, no. right. Okay. Uh, so it's more what goes down well, the drains. Well, get on to that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the waste management one. It's what goes down the drains, oh, okay. basically. Right. Yeah. So, okay. And there's a lot of pre-consultation with affected businesses that goes on. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's out for consultation. Uh, I'm trying to think who it was in the in the news with the, the I think it was Otago with the bright green water. Oh yes, it was Queenstown. I think yes, they, yes. I was listening to their engineer on the radio today. Um, they've taken some samples and they're, they're going to test them, but they think it's probably a tracing dye, right? Which which um, we're getting very technical now, but you know the stormwater drain shouldn't drain into the wastewater drain. No, because if it does. It increases the volume of wastewater that council has to process and makes it more expensive. Mm. So stormwater should be totally separate. Um, sometimes properties have got um, links between the two and you can use the dye to test. Right. So if you put the dye down the wastewater drain and it comes out the stormwater, then you know you've got a connection that's not good mm-hmm. because then your waste going into your fresh water. Yeah. Oh, so, the, so this may have been a process in yes. place as opposed to yeah. an accident. Oh, that's good. Yes, yes. That, but, I think that that's probably the most likely. Is but what um, this, the, the, would that come under the trade waste thing? You see weird coloured water coming out the stormwater and go, aha, we need to deal with this. Um, 
No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got it at all. But uh, suffice it to say uh, that uh, the trade waste draft is out for submission. Consulta- yes, 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 consultation. Right. Yep, so yep. people that do understand it yes, can, can get yep. in touch. Yep. There we go. Marvellous. Yep. Um, let's move on to traffic safety changes. Apparently, a community in East Street uh, said yep. we need some traffic calming. Yes. So East Street um, residents brought a petition. Uh, earlier this year to council to say uh, that their street is being used as a, as a cut-through street mm-hmm. uh, by vehicles at great speed uh, all times of the day and night and they've got noise issues and safety issues and so on and they wanted something done about it reasonably enough. Yes. So uh, East Street is actually in our scheduled streets for a safety upgrade okay. but not for another three years. So uh, when they presented their petition, we asked... Uh, officers to bring a report back saying uh, if we were to bring forward their safety improvements, how could that be done? What would be the implications? And uh, what are the options for any temporary improvements we might be able to make until their sort of turn comes up in three years' time? So Council uh, Council staff brought back the report uh, to the planning strategy meeting. And basically, um, I I thought it was quite an interesting debate because – uh, what we were faced with is uh, if we were to bring this one forward, uh, we would have to deprioritize something else. Mm. And that's always a bit tricky because, you know, every community um, is hanging out for the safety improvements on their particular street. And as well as that, there's a prioritization exercise that um, Waka Kotahi makes us do mm. on streets to qualify for part funding. So if it's a, a minor safety improvement, we can get 51% of the funding from Waka Kotahi. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we were to bring forward the East Street stuff, uh, it would cost $100,000 in total. Uh, instead of getting the 51000 from NZTA, we'd have been funding it all ourselves. Right. And that wasn't too And appealing. we all remember the rates bill, don't we? Yes. <laughs> we do. Hmm. So, the, so there was that to be considered. So it was kind of like, well, do we want to pay for it all and – or do we want to push someone else back, which doesn't seem fair? And one of the things um, I raised, and, and it's an issue that I'm quite concerned about, is that some communities are very good at organising themselves and, and coming into council and, and petitioning us and getting themselves, you know, mm-hmm. in front of us. Other communities are not. Yes, East Street might not be the worst street in yeah, Barmouth North at the right. moment. They just have the most active yeah. community. And so I didn't really want to have another street pushed back. Yeah. So uh, what we opted for in the end was the temporary improvements. So what these are, they're kind of like rubber ramps and matting that you can put into the street. And the good thing about that is they are movable. So uh, staff can put them in, assess if it's having the desired effect, move them around a bit to get the desired effect. And then when it comes to the permanent um, replacements yep. or whatever in three years' time, they'll have a good idea of what's working and what's not. That, so, well, that does, that sounds like, seems like a reasonable... It seems incredibly compromise. sensible. Put a yeah. temporary thing in, make sure yeah. it works, and then make it permanent. Yeah. Yeah. Splendid. Yeah. Well done. So um, ho- hopefully East Street are happy with that. 
<laughs> now, is it, uh, these temporary things, um, I walk, I, I, I longboarded down Rua Street towards Hierakotai. And there's some big planter boxes yep. down there. Is that classed as temporary or placemaking or permanent? Because they, they look like they've been plonked there. Um, I mean, it's certainly traffic calming because that road got very narrow very quickly. Mm. They're part of the Wakakotahi Innovating Streets program. Right. So you might have heard about that. Yes. But um, if you remember during COVID, everybody was out walking, cycling, etc. And after we um, were all let out again, back to not fairly normal life, mm. um, the government put some money into uh, what improving pedestrian and cycling experience, I suppose you could say. Um, some of those projects have been in Auckland. Or you might have heard one in Henderson that was very unpopular. Um, so so those planters, well, they're, they're kind of more than planters really, aren't they? They're kind of like flower beds almost. Mm. Um, they're part of that project. So it's 90% funded by Wakakotahi. And the idea is it's a temporary innovation to see if you can have the desired effect on a street that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, in this case, the desired effect is that people don't whiz up and down Ruha Street. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, slow down, take the time. And, and semi are discouraged from using Ruha Street mm-hmm. uh, because the residents there, I mean, you know, the success of the bridge has been, you know, awesome. Yes. We're very pleased about it. But it has had quite an effect on the residents of Ruha Street mm-hmm. in terms of increased traffic and, you know. I'm, I'm assuming Dittmar is affected as well. Yeah, I haven't heard. You see, Dittmar's already got traffic calming. True, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I haven't heard from mm-hmm. the residents of Dittman. Um Anyway, residents of Ruha were consulted about these um, boxes and so we're giving it a go. Mm. But at the same time, we've also opened up the pathway uh, from the Esplanade to the bridge that goes past the railway station and there's good parking that side. Yep. And so the idea is hopefully that people – you know, think, oh, it's not worth, you know, weaving my way up Ruha Street. I'll just go around and park in the Esplanade and walk down that yeah. way. And, of course, easier to get into the Esplanade yes. as well. Yes. yes. It's all part yeah. of a big plan. It is, yes. <laughs> it's all some kind of Machiavellian aim to direct people's behaviour in a different way. We'll all just be marching and following the arrows before <laughs> no time. Um, one other thing I noticed in this sort of temporary uh, changes thing, the planter boxes on yep. Pioneer Highway, uh, I saw fit to longboard in the cycle lane because yes. I have to make this Mm -hmm. conscious decision whether I want to terrorise cyclists or pedestrians. Um, The cycle lane with the planter boxes next to it, quite bumpy now because either people are hitting the planter boxes and knocking dust everywhere or, you know, children with nothing better to do are scooping it out onto the the pathway. are Are we nearing the end of this temporary trial and looking to put something more permanent in or are we reverting back? What's the, what's the well, deal we're, here? Well, we're at the end of the temporary trial, which I think was the end of July, mm-hmm. and council staff are going to do a, an analysis of it and present back, I presume. Um, well, they're definitely going to do an analysis of it, whether or not it becomes a council, council law or a decision mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, I also go up and down that cycleway quite a lot, cycling in and out to town. Um, the issues I have with it, are, as you say, the um, – Sand, when it comes out of the planter boxes, makes for a really skiddy surface. Yes. But the others, I'm wondering how um, they would, you know, get that swept because there's a lot of um, glass and, mm-hmm. you know, you go past the pubs and a lot of tree debris yes. and general. And so, you know, the planter boxes 
I'm not sure how they allow for those cycle lanes to be swept. So yeah. that's a question. Um, the other thing I would say about the planter boxes is as a driver, I think they're too low. So okay. then they're not so, you know, you can see them a long way ahead, yeah. sure. But um, actually the poles that are sort of more like at waist height, I think they're more visible to mm-hmm. drivers. Of course, with the planter boxes, if we, I don't know, planted something in them, then yeah. they'd be visible. Yes, but I, I'm not sure that that's... The problem is that they, with with that sandy stuff in them, they're just too much of a target for people to tip up. Yeah, yeah. And Which is why some of them have been bolted to the road, I've right. noticed, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. So we, we did have a big spate of people just, you know, enjoying tipping them up, really. Well, so that's what a trial's for, isn't it? It is, and questions will be asked. We are completely out of time on the catch-up this morning, but Lorna Johnson, thank you for joining us this that's morning. That's right, you're welcome. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow at half past eight. Do join us then. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.